Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. This is the third week on our contact series. Today we're going to talk about the Lord being our master. I was thinking about, uh, you know, some of you that, that just know me from basic church interactions would know me uh, just as a pastor. So you might call me Pastor Kurt. But at the same time, my mother and father know me as son. My sister knows me as brother. My wife knows me as husband. My children know me as dad. To others, I'm nephew, cousin, uncle, and friend. Each one of the titles that I have and each one of the titles that you have represent a different aspect of who we are, different responsibilities that we have, and obviously different privileges that we have to interact with the people that are around us. These titles that we have can operate concurrent with each other, right? So when I became a husband, I didn't stop being a son or a brother. When I became a dad, I didn't stop being a nephew or an uncle or so on. Does this make sense, guys? So we can have multiple titles and names that help complete who we are and that help other people interact with us more fully. This is why we're doing the contact series is because when we know God after one or two or three names, we're only interacting with him with that limited scope. But the more names, the more attributes, the more character traits that we can learn about God, then we can embrace and receive him in that area. So we want a fuller revelation of what God's word says about who the Lord is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we don't want it just for a nice sermon or just for a Sunday morning or just for a little study note. We actually want to encounter him in that way. So for instance, I've used the the provider and the healer. We hear those talked about a lot. But if you come, when you come into a revelation that he's your healer, it's his will to heal you, it's his will for you to walk in wellness, you're going to interact with him differently than the day before you you realize that. Right? The day that you realize he is the great provider, he's the great shepherd, he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, once those things cause revelation, not just in your ears, but in your heart, you have the opportunity to now encounter him, experience him, interact with him in a very fresh way. So what we're trying to do is just open that door a little bit wider each and every Sunday morning uh, to reveal a different name or a different title of God found in the Bible uh, so we can encounter him in that way. So last week we talked about uh, the Lord is peace. Today I want to talk about the Lord is also our master. Lord, master. So last week we looked at a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. Hebrew is in the Old Testament. And his name was Yahweh. It means Lord. We talked about how this name shows up over 6,800 times in the Old Testament. It's the sacred name for God, meaning the self-existent eternal God, the one true God. So you say Yahweh. Yahweh. This is the name that God revealed to Moses. This is the name that is called upon just with the people of Israel. Just his people called him that. And they actually chose over the years to not even pronounce his name. Only the high priest would do that. I want to teach you something that you might not not realize, and it will open up how you read Scripture. Yahweh in Hebrew, I'm just going to call him the eternal God. It's a self-existent, one true God, eternal God. There's many names within that word Yahweh. Yahweh is uh, is written out, capital L. Most of your Bibles will will have capital but smaller letters, uh, capital O-R-D. 
So when you're reading through scripture in the Old Testament and you see capital, L-O-R-D, regardless if they're all caps or there's some small caps, they're gonna be capital letters. That is Yahweh. Say Yahweh. Yahweh. Say Yahweh is in caps. Every single time in the Old Testament, when you see the Lord spelled out in all caps, it's talking about the self-existent eternal God, the one true God. Now, the other word that you'll see in the Old Testament uh, that, that is translated into Lord is Adonai. Can you say Adonai? This is also a Hebrew word because it's the Old Testament. I feel like I'm in a little bit of a classroom, but if you don't have this clarity, then you're not going to know how to experience him in a different way when you read these. So that word Adonai also means Lord. It only appears over 300 times compared to close close to 7,000 times. There's differences in what Adonai and Yahweh mean. They're both translated into Lord. So we read Lord, 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 Lord. We think he's talking about the same, 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 same. It's the same God, but it's a different definition. In all caps, it's Yahweh, the eternal God. If it's capital L, then lowercase, O-R-D. It means him being our master and us being his servants. That word Adonai is best translated master, owner, sovereign, roller. It focuses on God's authority and his exalted position above all mankind and all creation. So when you're reading Throughout the scriptures, if you see capital Lord, it's Yahweh, the eternal God. If you see capital L, lowercase, O-R-D, it's Adonai, which you can say, okay, now this individual is operating, is interacting with God as their master, not just their eternal God. You'll see it throughout the Old Testament. I'm gonna throw one more word in here. In the New Testament, because we're gonna go just back and forth between the New and the Old. In the New Testament, there's a Greek word that is translated Lord, when referring to Jesus. It's kurios. It doesn't look like that. That's how closest pronunciation you're going to get from me. It's kurios. What that means is every time you see Lord referring to Jesus, Jesus calls himself the Lord. Other people call him Lord. Every time you see that, that is best translated master, just like Adonai, one with authority, owner, emperor, king. So if you think through this, anytime you see the word Lord with lowercase O-R-D in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's talking about God being our master, whether it's the Father or the Son, Old Testament or New Testament. Anytime you see it with the capital letters, that's the eternal God. He's referred to only in the Old Testament that way with the capital letters being the self-existent eternal God. You guys with me so far? Did I confuse you? And you see the Hebrew words, that's the Adonai and the Yahweh, that's in the Old Testament. Greek is in the New Testament. We're focusing on capital L, lowercase O-R-D, master, owner, sovereign ruler, in both the Old and the New Testament. So check it out, I'm gonna confuse you now. We're gonna go to Psalm 16 too, where you're gonna see both lords in one verse. And you'll be able to tell the difference why. Psalm 16, two, David says this, I say to the Lord, I say to the, what, Yahweh, I say to the eternal God, you are my master. So if you say, if you just read through this, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Wow, that sounds really interesting, David. Could you got a little bit more creative? But when you're actually looking at the original language, he's saying, I say to the self-existent, one true eternal God, you are my master. You are my sovereign ruler. You own me. That's what it's saying. And we in English have the capitals and the lowercases to figure out all that. 
That's why I gave you that resource last week in that website. I say to the eternal God, you are my master. You roll over me. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So what's he saying here? Because the eternal God is who is rolling over him, anything and everything good that comes into David's life and that comes into our life is from God, right? All of our happiness, all of our joy, all of our fulfillment, all of our blessing, all of our provision, all of our healing, all of that stuff comes from Yahweh, who is also Adonai. What he's doing here is he's putting himself into a position of submission. We don't like to hear that word, right? We're, we're especially in our country, we're all about strength and moving on and moving up and being you know, the top of the ladder and everything that we can do. And the Lord's saying the only way to get up there is to come down here. So he's saying you've created everything, but master without, without you, apart from you, I have absolutely not one good thing in my life. When we think of the word master, we don't usually think master and servant relationship. We usually don't think, oh yeah, good stuff is gonna come out of this relationship, right? We don't have a good, a good um, view of master and servant. But what he's saying here is every good thing comes from you. So we sing songs like, he's a good, good father. Yes, he is, yes, he is. But when we hear him being our Lord and our master, somehow our mind has believed a lie and we turn him into some taskmaster who's gonna start cracking the whip on us. So he's a good, good God in this song, but now that I have to bow low and I'm called to be a servant of the most high God and I'm called to be a servant of the Lord, the master, the sovereign ruler, sometimes somehow we feel like he gets angry in that, in that time. And now you better watch it, boy. You better watch it, girl. He's the same God, different title, different attribute, different character trait. He's still a good, good father. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And if I could sing, I would sing it right now, but I won't embarrass myself. So I want to take a look at, at Moses. I'm just going to, going to kind of piece together a couple of different scriptures here from the Old Testament, New Testament. Moses talks to God at the burning bush. God's calling Moses to go back into Egypt to deliver the Israelites out of captivity. He's talking about using signs and wonders. And I was going to go and speak to Pharaoh and that they will be delivered. In Exodus chapter four, verse one, Moses answers this way. What if they don't believe me or listen to, uh, or listen to me and say, the Lord, Yahweh, the eternal God did not appear to you. Then the eternal God said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The eternal God said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake, ran from it. Then the eternal God said to him, reach out your hand and take, take it by the tail. So Moses reaches it out, hold, takes hold of the snake. It turns back into a staff. This, said the eternal God, is what you, or is so that they may believe that the eternal God, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph appeared to you. This is all Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. It's all a bunch of eternal God stuff right now. And watch what happens here. He performs another miracle from verses six through nine, explains another miracle in verse 10. Moses says to the eternal God, Yahweh, capital letters, pardon your servant, master, a lot of your translations, I like how the NIV draws this out. A lot of your translation won't say servant here. It's just, in the, it's just in the end of the sentence. A lot of yours might just say, pardon me or please, Lord, but it's lowercase. 
So the eternal God says this, the eternal God says that, the eternal God says this, you're going to operate in signs and wonders. He's saying, uh, pardon me, master. He's taking a position of humility now. He says, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow to speech and tongue. So he's showing here, he's taking a low position. And he's saying, this, I am nothing without you. I can't do this on my own. Does this make sense to you guys? He's not just talking about the eternal self-existent God. He's saying, you're my master and I'm much lower than you in the position of my heart and I can't do this by myself. So in verse 11, the eternal God said to him, who, have, who gave humans, human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who's given them sight or made them blind? Is it not I, the eternal God? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon me, your servant, master. Please send someone else. Now this is where I think he got it wrong. Because if you understand the significance of who your master is, it doesn't matter how low you are, you'll know that he can speak to your destiny and actually get it done. Right? Somebody say amen. Somebody shake their head like they agree with me on that. Right? If your master happens to be the self-existent -etern self eternal God, the one true God, and he's also your master, your ruler, your sovereign authority, I don't care how low, how sloppy your speech is, how unintelligent you think you are. If the creator of all the world happens to be your Lord and master, can he not do something through you? So it says here, then, notice it's not Adonai, then the eternal God's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I can speak, I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. He'll be glad to see you. He will speak, or you shall speak to him, put words in his mouth. I will help both you and he will speak and he will teach other people there. So when we're speaking to the Lord as master, Moses addresses himself as a servant. It's his rightful and humble position underneath the master. This is how the Lord's created. In fact, he has an image here that we're the servant and he's the Lord. We're the servant and he's the master. And he puts this authority uh, all through life in our relationships too, right? Whether it's in a marriage relationship, a parenting with children relationship, uh, the church relationship, authority in the government, authority in your workplace, there's a submission and then there's authority. And yet it should never be done in an abusive controlling, demeaning way. What we've done, we've taken cruel, manipulative, mean, power-hungry masters in the earthly realm, and we've projected all this junk on God. Well, if my boss is a jerk, then you probably are too at times. Well, if my parent talked to me this way, and this is how they rolled over me, this is probably how you roll over me. And none of that's true. We're actually supposed to take this and find out how he interacts with us as master, as Lord, as Adonai. And then we should see, he's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. When he disciplines us, it's for our good. When he rebukes us, it's for our good. All of the blessings, favor, protection, provision, all that, it's for our good. He's the best master we could ever want. We're just not always good servants. 
In other instances, is in Jeremiah. It's the same thing. God's calling Jeremiah. He's calling him into his future ministry. In Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. <clears throat> now watch what changes here. Verse six, it says, alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. This seems to be a running excuse that people have when they're being called. But God, I can't talk. I can't do this and this. I use that excuse too. I remember sitting in Sharice's uh, uh, driveway when we were talking about if we were called to ministry and so on. We were both teachers at the time. I remember saying, well, okay, maybe I'll be a pastor, but there's no way I'll ever be one of those people who are like up here preaching. No way. Public speaking, like those two-minute public speaking courses in high school, oh no, I was scared to death, sweating, like, oh, uh-uh, didn't like it. So I tried that same excuse too. It doesn't work. So check this out. It says, alas, sovereign Lord. I just want to break this out really quick. Anytime Adonai and Yahweh are used together, Adonai, master, Yahweh, eternal God. Anytime they're used together, they're not going to say, Lord, Lord. It's not going to be caps, lowercase. So translators would use the word sovereign for the master part. Follow me? Adonai is translated sovereign there because he's the sovereign ruler. And what's next to it? Capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. So he's saying, alas, master, eternal God, I said, I do not know how to speak well. Some of your translations would translate that Lord God, lowercase O-R-D for master, and then God for eternal God. But the Lord said in verse seven, but the eternal God said, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you, you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the sovereign, or I'm sorry, the eternal God. So listen, addressing God as master isn't just about how low you are. It's actually more about how high he is. We get so concerned when we hear, hear words like servant. We get scared of that. Listen, we're nothing without him. You're nothing without your master and eternal God. Quit worrying about how weak you are, how slow you are, how you don't know scriptures, how you do this, how you don't do that. If you truly are a servant of the most high God, you have to believe something miraculous can happen in your life. You have to believe that. So when we approach God as Adonai, when we approach the Lord as our master, we are his servant. But that word servant has such a harsh meaning in our society, right? We, we automatically think about being commanded to do minuscule tasks, demeaning tasks, right? I think of Cinderella's stepmother when I think of a roller, a master. See, that girl worked her bones off. You're done with that? Go do it again. Go do something else. That's what we think about when we think of servant-master relationships. That's not at all who God is. In fact, in John chapter 15, Jesus is, I'm not going to read from it, I just want to reference it. Jesus is talking about how his disciples are actually making a transition from being his servants to being his friends. So check this out. Just like I can be a son, a brother, a dad, a husband, a cousin, nephew, uncle, and friend, all in one person. You can be a child of God. You can be a servant. 
You can also be the righteousness of God in Christ and be a friend. You can be all of those things to God in one. So Jesus is saying, hey, you're no longer servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Now I call you friends. Now, just because they are called friends doesn't mean they stop being servants. Just like when I became a husband, I didn't stop being a son. So they are servants. Now they're realizing their friendship with Christ because they know his business. But what does he do? In a couple of verses later in John chapter 15, he says, if you're my friends, you'll do what I command you to do. That sounds a lot like servant. That's because they didn't stop being servants. Now they know his business. Guess what? We know his business. I could be a child of God, a son of the most high God. I could be a friend of Jesus, a co-heir with Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ, while still being a servant. It takes a humble position, a low position beneath the Lord, saying, you are my master. You own me. That's so offensive in this society. We want to own stuff and we want our own title. We're supposed to be giving those things away and saying, you own me. Maybe addictions, sin habits, divorce, maybe all those things found inside the church would not be so prevalent. If we woke up, God, thank you that I have breath in my lungs for another day. You are a good God. You are a loving God. I thank you that you're my father. You're my Abba. I can grab onto you, hold you close. I thank you for your everlasting presence in my life. But I'm just reminding myself in front of you, you own me. I'm yours. You're my Lord. You're my master. Everything I have is yours. Man, like what if we would remind ourselves of that? We think it's about limiting our resources and limiting our fun. God's gonna take all the fun stuff away. No, 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 no. He's gonna unlock what you're bound in so you can actually have the joy of the Lord. Right, we think, we think when we're a servant, we're just gonna serve this king. Yeah, it's gonna be the best life you could ever imagine. So we hear, we hear the word servant, and then we get the word obedience. I just wanna hit this thing. Because obedience in the Bible, we've heard so, so many people have been abused by controlling churches and, and in these areas. Listen, when we, heard this word, when we hear this word obedience, we think, I, I, no, 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 I'm, I'm done with that. Those are all those rules because obedience is about, you know, looking at someone who's hurting and controlling all that kind of stuff. And we don't wanna obey because we think it's legalistic. We think it's religious. That's old covenant. No, 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 listen to me. Jesus says, if you're my friends, you'll obey what I ask you to do. In fact, if you look at the most literal translation, you'll obey what I command you to do. So there's, there, here's the difference. Obedience is still vitally important. It's necessary. But in the new covenant, we have something called grace that empowers us to obey the commands of Christ. We have something, someone called the Holy Spirit in us that empowers us and enables us to receive the grace to obey what Christ is commanding. Obedience is still a really big deal. Holiness is still a really big deal. Him being our Lord and Master and us being nothing without Him is still a really big deal. 
Living a life of righteousness is still the right thing to do. Walking in sin is still wrong and destructive and will kill you in the end. It doesn't mean God's not a good father. So in the old covenant, the rules were written on stone tablets. So now we have an external pressure on us to do the right thing. So do you know what men and women did? They thought they smartened up. What they started doing is they started obeying these external rules with their bodies, but their hearts were far from God. So they say, I look holy. He's not really my Lord. You know, I'm a master, you know, I'm my owner. I'm just gonna do these things to impress other people because the laws were external. In the new covenant, where's the law written? On our hearts. In Hebrews 8, I think it says, maybe in verse 10, but I might have that switch, it might be 10, 8. It's talking about how the law of Christ is written on our heart. So now we're not looking externally. There's not an external motivator. It's an internal motivator for holiness. It's an internal motivator for obedience to the Lord. Listen, obedience and lordship was never meant to be about roles. It was always supposed to be in relationship. That's what God wanted in the Old Testament. They said, I don't want it, Moses. You go up. You be friends with them. You meet with them. Just give us a bunch of roles. That wasn't God's intention. God's intention was us with him, a holy priesthood in relationship. And now that I'm in relationship with this good father, I want to obey him because I see how good he is. I see how many, how much good things he has for me because apart from him, I have no good thing. Psalm says, in the context of him being my master and me being a servant. I have no clue where I am. <laughs> In John 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord. This is Jesus talking. This is your savior. He calls me you call me teacher and Lord. Lord is translated master, okay? You call me teacher and master, and, right, and rightfully so, rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set this example that you should go and do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, and nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So we're talking about all this and we're saying, okay, I'm nervous to be a servant under this master. Who is our master? God. God shows up in flesh and shows us how our master operates in the flesh. And what does he do? He washes our feet. You know who was included in that bunch? Judas, which means people that God knows are going to betray him, walk away from him, try to hurt the church. He's still there to serve them. We have to get this out of our head of who God really is as our master and our Lord. Because when he showed up in the flesh, he came to serve, not to be served. And this is the example we're supposed to set. Adam, you can come up at this time. If you're not willing to be a servant of Jesus, then he's not your Lord. You can say that he is, but positionally in your heart, if you have not humbled yourself before him, 
he's not your Lord. You may be hoping that he just saves you in some far off distant land from your sins, but if you actually haven't humbled yourself before him, then he's not your Lord. You haven't made him your Lord yet. He's not going to invade your life and force you to give your heart to him. In Romans chapter 10, it says this, if you declare with your mouth, say declare. Declare. Some of your translations would say confess. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Say Jesus is Lord. We can, if you translate that a little bit deeper, you would be saying Jesus is my master. Jesus is my owner. Jesus is my sovereign ruler. Jesus is the one with authority in my life. So if you declare Jesus is all of those things and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord. The same master is master of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, master, will be saved. I want to I show something to you in these scriptures. I think it's very clear. I think a lot of people in these church settings here, when you're responding to an altar call and you're raising your hand, you're saying, I want Jesus. A lot of people are responding to Jesus because they want him to be their savior, but they don't want him to be their Lord. So I want to feel good that all of my sins are covered and I'm not going to go to hell. That's what you want, get out of hell free pass. So people raise their hand because they feel some conviction. And they're saying, okay, I'll receive him as my savior. And then you say, wait a minute, are you ready to surrender your entire life to him? Oh, I'm not sure about that. Can't he just take all the bad stuff away? What does that scripture say? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is my savior. What gets you saved? Confessing him to be your savior? What comes first? Confessing Jesus as your Lord. So you first have to say, Jesus, you're my master. You own me. I am giving up rulership and ownership of my life. Now take over. And when he comes in with the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, now he becomes your savior. He's your Lord, your servant first. And he rushes in and when that presence of the Holy Spirit comes in, you're automatically forgiven of your sins. Even in the end of those verses, everyone who calls on the name of the what? Savior? Everyone who calls on the name of the Messiah? Everyone who calls on the name of the Prince of Peace shall be saved? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Master, Owner, Sovereign Ruler shall be saved. I think think we get this wrong in the church sometimes. We sell Jesus as this, this uh, Mr. Clean, let's just wipe all this stuff away. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't communicate. Uh, this is on me too as a pastor. We don't communicate the importance of surrendering everything. Like a landlord, you know how a landlord owns a building, but he lets other people come in, okay? He sovereignly owns the building and the land, but a tenant comes in, creates a contract. There's a master and a servant, follow me? The the tenant gets to live in the house of the owner and gets to make choices. The the landlord isn't saying, I'm determining your will, I'm determining your emotions and your actions, your attitudes. No, we're in an agreement now. And now with this, the tenant 
should be interacting kindly with the landlord, not out of fear, but out of appreciation, about a reverence, out of respect that he's using somebody else's property. Never is there ever any confusion. The tenant would never come to the landlord and knock on his door and say, hey, um, I'm a little bit confused. Do I own this or do you? There would never be any confusion. Landlord owns the building. Tenant lives in there. And yet with God, we get this confused. He's the landlord. He owns it all. Touch your body. This is called your tent. This is on rent, right? He's letting you use this for 70, 80, 90, 100 years. This is on loan to you. This isn't yours. God owns it. He decided that you should be here. So you were created. Now he's given you a body, soul, and a human spirit. He doesn't come in and intrude. Just like the landlord wouldn't bust open your door and sit on your couch and eat your chips. That would be really weird if you walked in. He's like, I own the place. He does, the landlord doesn't do that. So God doesn't do that with you. He actually gives you free will. He gives you a choice to live how you want to live. And then he desperately, desperately, desperately wants you to come into relationship with him. So we'll give up this body someday. It'll go back to the dust where it came. But what will be left eternally is well, your experience will be completely different depending on if you've ever surrendered your life. If you've ever actually admitted, none of this is actually mine. So let me live my life. Let me steward my life. Let me use my days to honor you. Not just as my creator, not just as my peace, not just as my healer, not just as my provider, but as my Lord, my master, my sovereign ruler. Why don't you stand at this time? I'm not going to do the hand raising thing today. What I want to do, Adam's going to sing a song. <clears throat> it's, not, it's not about the song. It's not about the next four minutes until the song's over. It's not about that. It's really not about that. If you can actually look at this, and this is about the rest of your life, it's not about where you're going to lunch. It's not about when the, the words are on the screen or when they're, when they're off. It's not, a, it's not about that at all. What the Lord does in specific moments in our life is he comes and he allows us to repent and he allows us to come back to him or to come to him in a greater way. So when I'm saying the word obedience, some of you might be translating that as you're doing something bad or sinful, where I know, I know there are some people in here, you're not living like in sin. But when I say the word obedience, you can pinpoint two or three things the Lord is telling you to do not now, but like weeks ago, months ago, maybe years ago, and you haven't done it, right? So you're not like secretly drinking in a closet. You're living a life of godliness. And yet when I say the word obedience, something pings your heart. You're like, oh, he asked me to do something and I didn't do it. He's not going to bust in and sit on your couch and eat your chips. He's going to wait for you to invite him in and say, you know what? I left my living room to myself. So here, come on in, eat all the chips you want to, sit down with me, teach me where I should go. There are some of you that might be caught in sin or just might be like living a life almost like of apathy. And you're like, I, I, need, I need to declare once again, you are master, I am servant, but I serve the best master in all of the universe. So we're just gonna give these next few moments 
uh, to the Lord. And if you need to come down just to be with the Lord for any reason, then I want you just to come to this center section from steps to steps. If you want somebody to partner with you, if you're repenting of something, or if you want to just pray and say, man, I'm really afraid to like take this next step with the Lord. I don't know, I don't know what he wants me to do. I just know he told me this. There'll be some altar, work, altar team. Uh, there'll be spouses and pastors, whoever's on the altar team on the outsides here, uh, outside of the steps. We just wanna give these moments to the Lord. You respond how you're feeling led to do, and then we'll close in prayer in just a few moments. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.